really as I was praying and asking, there's lots of different things that I felt God was wanting to share with us as a family. And I sort of had this theme and I was thinking, you know, well, what, what would fit with that? And God just said, just tell the story of Samson's parents. And sort of I have the thought and you move on and think, no, there's got to be something a bit, bit more snappy, a bit more teaching, a bit more points, one, two, three. Um, but I couldn't get away from it. So we're going to look at Judges 13 and Samson's parents. And, and really, I, I love this story so much. Um, I love it for so many reasons, and it's one of my go-to stories. It's a story that God's spoken to me in different ways over the years. Um, it's a story about um, Manoah and his wife and the encounter that they have with an angel and then um, ends up with um, Samson being born. And, and it's, it's a lovely story for so many ways, and I've gone to this when I was a young husband, and it's, it's helped me in my relationship with Jan. It's helped us in stages as a couple a few years ago now, there's one of the Hope Church preaches, um, I called it, Can You Handle Freedom? And there's something God was really speaking to us about, about how we handle the freedom that God brings and what this story teaches us about that. Um, and so it's a story that I go to quite a lot. But today, um, really the theme that I think or part of what God's saying too is, is about us finding our place in the big picture. And so that's the title, is Your Place in the Picture. And I want to use this story and, and see, what, uh, see what we can get out from that. So it's going to be a bit of a pick and mix. I'm going to throw things out. It's not going to be, as I say, points one, two, three. Um, but we'd start, I just want to, part of setting the scene of this is reading the last few verses from chapter 12. So chapter 12, verse 8, if we can just start back there. Talking about some of the other judges before Samson. After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters, um, and he gave them in marriage outside his clan. And the 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons. And he judged Israel for seven years. Then he died and was buried at Bethlehem. Then Elhon, the Zebulonite, judged Israel. And he judged Israel for 10 years. Then Elhon, the Zebulonite, died and was buried at Ahijalon in the land of Zebulun. And after him came Abdon, the son of Hillel, Pirithonite, who judged Israel, and he had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode 70 donkeys. Well, there you go. And he judged Israel for eight years. Then he died and was buried in the land of Ephraim in the hill, hill country of the Amalekites. Just pause there. So three judges, we know their name, how many sons, donkeys, daughters they had, how long they reigned, and where they were buried. And then we get a whole chapter on Samson's parents. Hmm, interesting. So chapter 13, the birth of Samson. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful, drink no, no wine or strong drink, eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. He shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask him where he was from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, eat nothing unclean. 
for the child should be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent come to us again and teach us what we're to do with a child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, wasn't with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now, when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? What is his mission? The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of everything I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or any unclean thing. All that I have commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. The angel said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah didn't know that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? The angel said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the goat, young goat and grain offering, offered it on the rock to the Lord, the one who works wonders, and Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up towards heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame from the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. And the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. Manoah said to his, his wife, We're going to die, for we've seen God. But his wife, what a good woman, said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of God began to stir him in Manedan between Zorah and Eshtol. So it, it is just a lovely story, um, and, uh, and there's lots here that, that God's spoken to me through. Um, and... Uh, Part of what I wanted to say so it's, it's, there's a good bit in the downside to someone standing at the front preaching, and the downside is that we become passive and it's this sort of you know experts and, and everybody else, um, and that is very much not where I come from um, and really what, what my urge is that I was a very young Christian when I read this story, and God spoke to me. Um, and one of the things I like about reading the Bible is there are so many stories. And yes, we've got to get over the fact that there's a lot of agriculture there, there's sheep and there's fields, um, there's battles and killing and bloodshed and swords and, and stuff. There's, there's a cultural context that's so different to us, but they're people. And one of the things that I've learned through the years is to paint myself into the pictures, being my phrase, to actually imagine myself, what would it be like to be that husband? How would I feel? if my wife rushed in from outside and said, an angel's just spoken to me. And you just go through these things to imagine yourself into the story. Or Jesus is talking, you're, you're one of his disciples. Just imagine, where would you be in the crowd? Would you be at the back trying to strain to hear? Or would you be at the, at the front hanging on to every word? So God just wants to speak so much and God wants to give us keys to life. And thinking that we'll get enough just by coming on a Sunday morning and someone sharing their understanding and their revelation 
is really missing the point. The big purpose in people standing here is to provoke you to go and do this yourself or to say something that makes you think and you go in and find out about it. So this, this is a, a place, part of painting yourself into the picture, finding your place in the story, is actually looking for stories. And it doesn't mean to say this isn't, I did not have this experience, but the things from this story that God then spoke to me from. So um, that, that's just a bit of the intro. But Judges, a bit more context. It's a fascinating book. Um, it spans the time between Joshua and um, Samuel and then Saul as the first king. And, and so at the time of Joshua and the elders with him, the people obeyed God, they followed his laws, there was lots of blessing. And then the last of Joshua's elders died and very quickly the beginning of Judges says that the people started to go their own way. They started to abandon God. And the cycle of the story in Judges is time and time again, they go through this pattern. So the people abandon God, God sends a foreign power to come and, and oppress them and uh, show them that what's happening is, is not his intention or his will. Um, they cry out to God um, for, um, for a de um, delivery and God sends a deliverer or a judge for them to you know, um, repel the invading powers. And there are lots of different parallels as we look at the people of God through that time. That God's intention was is that they became a people established in the promised land, that he took them out of slavery, brought them into Canaan, the promised land, was going to set them up as his people to bring judgment against the sinful nations. These nations, you know, the Bible clearly says they deserved you know, to be punished and they were under God's judgment and he was going to use his people to displace them and bring judgment. And that's a lot of parallels between what God has done with us. So we've been taken out of slavery to sin. We've been brought into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of his blessing. And so they had land flowing with milk and honey. We have righteousness, peace, and joy. We have all the blessings of being um, Jesus' brothers and sisters. And God's plan is to establish us as his people and through us to extend his kingdom and to displace the principalities and powers. And sadly, one of the main messages of the Old Testament is that the law is not sufficient. Just having judges who make you do or leaders who make you do what you should do is never going to bring freedom. They only followed God when someone made them do it, when there's a strong leader who said, you do it or, or else. And as soon as that leader died, they fell apart and went on doing what was right in their own eyes. Um, and so really there's this huge context of freedom and law going all the way through the book. And then we find this, this um, couple, and so 40 years of Philistine oppression, and this surprisingly intimate picture of this couple, um, a childless couple. And again, that's quite helpful for us, that we can look at the grand scheme of redemption, grand scheme of God's end time purposes in the earth. But God's got a story for each one of us. And so we can sometimes get lost in the big picture and feel a bit overwhelmed at what can little me do in this grand scheme. But again, there are so many of these stories in the Bible and what God says to us is that he sees each one of us as individuals, as couples, as families, as groups of friends. And our story is important. God has a something for us to do that, that can play a part in the bigger scheme. Um, and Andy talked last week about the jigsaw piece. You know, you are a jigsaw piece and there is a big picture. And sometimes you can look at the other pieces around and you can't always see where your piece fits in the big picture. Um, but the key is to realize that you are a piece with a place 
and it's how you then find the connections and how you don't go zooming around, fretting and worrying until you find where it is that God's placing you. And so we're going to look at this story and just imagine this couple, what did barrenness do to them, you know, how long have they been married, how long do you have to go between, you know, being young married when no one's really hoping you won't get pregnant too soon and then the time goes by and people say, mm, perhaps, maybe, and then a bit longer goes on. So, you know, they got to the point where, you know, they were being called barren, they were childless, it was over, there was no more expectation of, of what they would do, um, sorry, that they would have children. And so the story is looking at them as a couple in that context. So big themes, big story, and uh, an intimate story of a couple. So I'm going to go through the verses here. In verse 1, it really struck me that it was the Philistines that oppressed them. I don't know if you use the maps in the Bible. Um, there's so many bits of the Bible that we just we know they're there, but they never look. Have you ever seen? I was going to get one, and apologies for not having um, a map to show you. But there are only five cities in the land of the Philistines. We think of Goliath. We think these are, are big, mighty people. And this certainly had a huge influence. But a lot of their influence wasn't because they were a massive nation. Israel was a way bigger nation. But it was when God removed his protection that the Philistines had much more influence than they should have done. Um, and it, it really struck me there. And then we get to verse 2, Manoah. And we find out that his name's Manoah. He was from the town of Zorah. And he was from the tribe of Dan. And Dan, in Genesis 30 and Genesis 49, um, the uh, prophecies about the tribe of Dan were that Dan would judge the nations and Dan would judge the rest of, the Isra uh, rest of Israel. So this man was placed geographically, he was placed by genealogy, he was placed by prophecy, and he had his name. And he had a wife. And we never ever hear this poor girl's name. We go through the whole story, and all we know is that she's married with no kids. Um, and that can be quite a challenge. Sometimes we can be near to people who seem to have all the status, all the prominence, and then there's little me. And, and what does that do to us? Um, and, uh, you know, how do we do that? So quite likely it's cultural, and so we're not sort of reading too much into their culture and putting our culture in, into that. But when we reflect on it, how does that make me feel? And this is the, the point I'm making here, really. What does that do to you when someone else gets all the title, the position, the prophecy, and you're, you know, alongside? And, and you can very easily count yourself out if that's, that, if, if that's what you value. And it says she was barren, and it just emphasizing again, that's such a bleak word. That really isn't not had kids yet. That is a no hope being passed by. It's not going to happen. And so if she saw that her identity was just defined by association with her husband or defined by what she did or in her case what she didn't do, that could be quite a sort of hopeless place. And it's just a great thing then that God in his grace and mercy sends an angel to her. Um, it must have been quite a blessing for her. Just thinking about the barrenness, sorry, I forgot this point here. It is amazing how many notable women in the Bible were barren. So a lot of, uh, a lot of the women there were, were labeled as barren. Um, so you've got Sarah, who gave birth to Isaac. Rebecca gave birth to Jacob. Hannah was Samuel's mum. And Elizabeth had John the Baptist. And there are others. Um, and so it's just, that is not, even though it may be something that the world calls her full stop, it's never God's full stop. 
so then we get the angel coming along. Um, and the angel starts out with these, those words, Behold, you're barren and have no children. I would not have done that. <laughs> I would not have gone up to someone I hadn't met before and, uh, and just pointed out that. And, and we can sort of react to that about how insensitive is that? Um, is this God just rubbing it in? But what I love about God is we, we use this phrase, the elephant in the room. We are so used to tiptoeing around something big and in the way that really is a problem, but we never name it. And, and God in his grace and mercy says, look, let's call this thing what it is. This is a problem. Let's not pussyfoot around and pretend it's not there and let's not try and fit our life around it. It really is very good and one of the great things that God does when you're honest and willing to be vulnerable before him. And, uh, and he just names it for what it is. Um, there's no pretense. And, and once you get over the fear of that, you know, it, it's something we get frightened of. It's too big to actually go there. Once you get over that, then that sense of being known, that sense of God just, there is a big problem, but God knows me and he still loves me. And that's just a great, a great place to be. Okay, so we're going to skip through and there's the, what I just see as a, a real dance here um, of these different characters as, as we watch them through the story. So we get this angel coming and bringing these amazing words to the woman um, wherever she, she is at the time and she's not, uh, not with her husband. But I just love her response. The angel speaks to the woman. The woman then goes and finds her husband and that sense of inclusion, that sense of being partners um, and, and just honoring one another is, is a great thing to see. And the husband, this is one of the things that I sort of have wanted to model myself on so much. What a great response. Um, can we read that in verse 8? So the, uh, the angels appear to the wife. The wife comes and speaks to Manoah. Manoah then prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, please let the man of God whom you've sent, whom you have sent, come again to us and teach us what we're to do with a child who will be born. That is a faith response. That is a man who is not doubting. He's not squashed his wife. You can think of all the things that he could have done. Angel, yeah, right, come on, pull the other one. You could have had so many dismissive, criti critical, why would he appear to a woman? You know, all, all the different things you can imagine as negative responses. And he didn't come, become defensive. He, he was able to hear her without saying, what's wrong with me then? You know, why didn't he come to speak to me? There were so many responses he could have had. Um, but bless him, he had that great response and, and prayed that faith-filled prayer. And bless him, he had to cope a bit more because God answers his prayer by sending the angel back to his wife. And again, another opportunity to be offended there, isn't there? If, uh, you know, really? It was my prayer. Come on, this isn't fair. Um, and, and often that, that happens with God, doesn't it? That you know, God doesn't do things the way we want them. Come on, this isn't fair. Um, and there's so many opportunities for misunderstanding. Just the endless why question perhaps the least helpful question to keep going on about. Ask it once, but don't keep on going on it. Um, there's so much opportunity for misunderstanding, so much opportunity just to take your bat home and say, well, you know, that's it then. God's never going to speak to me, is he? And, and you can get all these opportunities. So again, the dance continues. The angel appears to the woman, and bless her, what a great girl. She knows how much this means to her husband. She runs quickly, it says, to, to find her husband, and he then follows um, into the field to find out what it is that the angel, angel says. 
and, and just loving that, that interchange that they have. They seem to know one another and ease of, uh, of accepting one another's difference and gifts. So Manoah's prayed and asked God, and then he comes and finds the angel and asks the same things. So verse 12, Manoah said, when your words come true, what is to be the manner of life, what is the child's manner of life, and what is his mission? So he's clearly wanting to be involved. This isn't just, well, your woman's going to have a, uh, a baby and bring him up. You know, this, he wants to be actively involved in that. Um, but again, he has to deal with the fact that the angel says, no more, whatever I've told this woman, let her be careful to do that. Um, and that, that's a real challenge of, of how you do that. <coughs> Excuse me. But again, he decided that that was it. He wasn't going to get any further. So um, the next verses go on about him offering food. The angel said, I won't eat it, but give an offering to God. The angel goes up in the flame. And poor Manoah, once again, the angel has spoken to them. The angel has accepted their offering. The angel has, you know, been supernaturally spirited away in the flames of the fire. Um, I was never quite sure. Was it the fact that he disappeared up in a flame that impressed him or the fact that he never turned up again? Um, so it says there that uh, when he never came back, then Manoah knew that it was an angel. Um, so his response then is, oh no, we are going to die. <laughs> this, this poor man, he's really struggling with these uh, angel encounters, isn't he? Um, and, and that response of his to the supernatural encounter, that response of his to something that's totally outside his normal, um, and, and we can, again, identify with that. How do we react when things are just so outside our normal? And, and you could look again. So Gideon, in chapter 6 of Judges, had a very similar response. Once he realized that it was an angel, so Gideon offered an offering, and the angel disappeared. And Gideon's response was, I've seen the angel of the Lord, says in Judges 6.22. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now I will die. Um, sadly, he didn't have a good woman with him to, to reassure him, um, but God spoke peace to him. Um, but yes, yeah, so Manoah, you know, the angel is, was very awesome. You know, Hollywood has not done us any favors at all. We see angels as pretty girls with fluffy wings, but this is a, you know, a buff guy with, uh, you know, very awesome appearance. Um, so, uh, it's your imagination. You can do what you like there, can't you? So his wife has this great faith response um, and said, why would God show us all these great things, accept our offering, angel disappears, promises a son, and then kill us? You know, so how much of that was just you know, her way? How much of that was the faith level that she got? How much was it that she was changed by the encounter? Um, and, and so we don't know, but she had a great faith response. But it's not sort of saying, you know, good woman, bad man. What really God spoke to me is that they were both different. They both had different strengths and insights. They both had different gifts and ease in you know, the, the presence of angels. But they stayed together. They looked after one another. There was that interchange of, you know, come on, it's going to be okay. Because the woman could have suddenly been, some man you are, hey? And you know, each of them had opportunity to dismiss the other. But they managed to look after each other and to stay together. Um, and so I just love this couple and how well They've, uh, they've managed to walk through that. And, and this story, it, you know, like many of these stories, it generates more questions than it answers. 
and that's often true of the Bible. There are so many unknowns in this story. Why didn't the angel come and speak to the man? Because, you know, he prayed a good prayer. God heard it. You know, why was it that she was barren for so many years before the angel came along and said they're going to have a, a baby? Why was it that they didn't say any more? This is another thing that God really struck me recently. They asked a good question. What do we have to do? How do we bring this boy up? What's going to happen? All that we know is he's going to begin to save Israel from the Philistines. That's not a lot to go on. Do they take him to battle training? Do they get him in some army? Do they get him, you know, good with a sword? There's so many things you would want to know as a parent if you'd had a prophetic encounter which said, your son is going to save the nation. How? With what? What would it look like? And they didn't get any answers to any of those questions, and they had to live with that. And then if you look into the beginning of chapter 14, I'll just tell you it rather than read it. Um, the first thing that Samson asks his dad, so he's grown now, he's become a man, go and get me a Philistine wife. Hello? <laughs> That's why we're being judged. That's why God's brought this other nation, because we've been intermarrying with the nations. You're supposed to save Israel. Didn't you see the angel? We told you, you know, you're going to save the nation. How can you do that? So all of these things that was in Manoah's understanding were just not computing with what this new generation of leader was, was being told. And all Samson said, it seems right in my eyes. Really? <laughs> Is that all we've got to go on? You think, do you mean she's hot? Is that what she seems right in your eyes? So just that issue of generation transition of how one generation can do so much in leading on in the purposes of God. And another generation comes with a different insight and a different way of processing. And it seemed right in his eyes. So Samson was operating much more from the Holy Spirit in him than his dad was, was able to do. Um, and, and that issue then of how they managed that, because his dad did then go and find the Philistine. He didn't say, you want her, you get her. He partnered with that, and he worked with that. And, and there's a big issue there that we can all take lessons from as to how we, we have these differences of gift, difference of insight, difference of understanding. But nonetheless, we don't judge each other for it. We don't reject each other for it. And, and we handle each other well in flowing with our differences. Um, so how we hold on to God in those moments and how we hold on to each other when we really don't want or don't understand what's going on around us. How do we value what's different? And so a big part of what I wanted to, to say this morning is it is okay when you don't know everything. It is okay when you really don't understand what's going on. And again, this, this guy Manoa, he was trying really hard, wasn't he? He was doing all the right things and yet he still didn't really seem to grasp what was going on, either when the angel vanished, his wife knew and he didn't, when Samson was there on his mission, his son knew and, and he didn't. There's so much that he didn't know. Um, but it really is okay. And one of the challenges is how do we handle what, when we don't know? How do we handle this issue of mystery, of not getting the answers, or you get an answer but it's not the right answer? That wasn't what I was meaning. <laughs> no, I don't understand your answer, God. Um, and and we, we have to have this balance right where we don't stop asking questions. This isn't a message saying, you know, don't ask questions, kiss your brains goodbye. You know, it's very important that we keep seeking to understand. But when you've asked the question, when you've sought to understand, and you get to that place where I'm not getting any more answers here, or the answers I'm getting are making me more confused, what do we do with that? And where is our security? Are we more secure because we worked it out, 
or we work more secure because we know what's going on, or is our security because I know Father's love, I know my place as a son, and I know I would love to know a lot more, I don't know more yet, perhaps it will come clearer later. And, and that's a situation many of us find, and one of the things that I really felt God was wanting to say was about so much it really can feel like there's a sea of unknowns swirling us around us and the things we thought should be happening are just not happening. And I love the songs that we sang, there were two ocean songs. And, and one was you know, about the ocean and the waves and you know, keep our eyes above the waves. And it can feel like that, that circumstances are swirling around us and, uh, and seeking to drown us. And that sort of um, theme in the song about keep lifting our eyes. And um, Peter, when he's walking on the water, he saw the waves, didn't he? And he began to sink. But it was the connection with Jesus caught his hand and lifted him up. And, and then the second ocean song was seeing that ocean not as something threatening, not as something that's going to overwhelm you, but an ocean of God's love. And he said, an endless ocean, a bottomless sea. Um, that's quite scary. I don't like deep ocean. I don't know what's down there. And so ocean to me is much more, I, I would have to retrain my thinking to see the ocean as a place secure. The, the bottomless sea of God's love means there's never an end. I cannot get so deep in life that I escape the love of God. There is no end. There is no limit to God's love that I could see ashore and say, okay, it stops there. You know, and then seeing the things that we're in from a different perspective. Sometimes the situation doesn't change at all. Sometimes the situation is exactly the same, but we can change our perception of it from being something that threatens to drown and overwhelm us to something that changes and we suddenly become secure because whatever's happened, I'm just floating and enjoying the love of God. And this really is the, the area of faith, isn't it? How much do we have to know what's going on before we feel okay? Or how much can we live in that place of, of not knowing, of the things not seen? So Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And, and how well do we live from that place of connection where we're not secure because of how well we're performing or what status, what, what's our position in life um, or other people's approval around us or whether we actually get what's going on. And, and if you feel secure because you've got everything worked out, um, you're probably in for a, a rude awakening sooner rather than later probably. Um, it's a bit of an illusion to think that you know what's going on. Um, and so our challenge is how we stay connected with one another in these times of unknown, why me and why not them, um, how we stay connected to Father's love in these, and how we stay connected where we really don't see where we fit in. And that, that jigsaw piece, it can be quite unsettling when there's the whole board and there's a few pieces over here and there's my little piece and I know it should be, it is part of a, a wheel of something and I know it should be down here, but there's nothing else around it and how well you stay connected to that and look for God to bring other like-shaped pieces around um, and still being in there. Um, and how we do keep our eyes above the waves. So when things do seem to be drowning and overwhelming us, what do we do? Do we try and work it out and try and think, well, what, how are we going to fix this? Or do we say, my only response is Manoah did. He heard about the angel. His first response was to go and pray and ask God for more detail. So I love this story. There's so much in there. You could keep going on and on and on. Um, I think that's probably enough to say there. Um, but I really wanted just an opportunity to pray and specifically got what God was saying is if there are people here and you do feel overwhelmed, you do feel you're drowning, you do feel that 
you just would love to know what's going on, but you don't. And it's really started to cause pain and problems that aren't to pray and help you find connection with Father's love. And uh, we'll do that. So I'll pray just now, and then we'll invite um, the senior leadership team and anyone who's on second year of the Supernatural School to come forward. And we'll pray for everything else as well. God just loves blessing his kids. He loves answering our questions, but also healing our bodies, healing our minds, and setting us free in so many ways. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, I'll let you clap before I pray. That was uh... <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for your love. God, we wouldn't be where we are today without your love keeping us secure. And God, it can seem overwhelming. It often seems overwhelming. We don't know, we don't get, we don't see and feel and understand why things are happening to us and around us the way they are. But Father, I ask right now for each one that we would know that measure of touch of your love. God, for each one of us, you just shower us in your blessing. We would know, just like mercy falling down like rain, we would know your goodness around us and your holding onto our hands, keeping us secure in the midst of the unknown. God, will you pour your blessing out on us, your kids, and hold us secure through the week ahead. And do start to speak. Do start to bring revelation. Do start to show more of where we fit in the grand scheme of your story. Thank you, God.